0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hi, I'm Will Summer. Welcome to The Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm currently working on a book about QAnon called Trust the Plan for HarperCollins coming out later this year.
2: And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge. Flat earthers, conspiracy culture, and why people will believe anything.
1: On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote.
2: Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, rifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point.
1: Alright, welcome to Fever Dreams. We're joined today by new co-host and Daily Beast reporter Kelly Weil.
2: Hey Will, it's good to be uh, back and kind of around in a more formal capacity.
1: Yeah, you're, you're, you're here for a good time and a long time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, I think this will be great going forward. All right, let's pop it off. So first up, last week's guest, Taylor Lorenz, a columnist writing about technology at The Washington Post, has a hot story out about the libs of TikTok Twitter account. So this is a, you know, for folks who haven't had a chance to read this yet, I I recommend checking it out. But this is a Twitter account that's interesting because it's sort of grown to have a, a weirdly large amount of influence. Basically, the person behind this account, a woman named Chaya Rychik, she kind of combs TikTok and finds like typically maybe like a purple haired teacher or something and who has like a, a, a trans acceptance flag in their classroom here and then says something like, um, you know, this is sick, you know, teachers like this should be fired. But as Taylor documents in this story, this, this uh, account has become huge in implementing a lot of this, like promoting a lot of this kind of like don't say gay stuff. Ron DeSantis's staffer said this account was really like a big deal in terms of the crafting of the legislation. So, you know, I, th- I think it made for an interesting read
2: totally listen right off the bat solidarity with taylor right now because she's getting a ton of harassment just for naming this account and you know i want to be clear like this is an account with more than half a million followers as you know as Ron santis's aide said it was kind of instrumental in the crafting of this legislation it is very much a harassment vector it will just go and will find some you know random florida teacher you know again who has like maybe a, a tongue ring or something and uses it to argue about the degeneracy of youth today and uh, LGBT people. And so this is not an inconsequential account. It was on its creator was on Tucker Carlson the other week. And the argument now is that it, it, it was unethical for Taylor to report on this account and its identity, which is clearly, clearly bullshit. Like this is a influential account. It is well within the public interest and it is Wild to see people who make a living calling liberals snowflakes absolutely melt down over this story.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think it it definitely makes for an interesting read. I think this is an account that if you don't exist deep in MAGA Twitter, you might have missed it. Although, you know, it's been picked up by people like Joe Rogan as well. But it's also like kind of a crazy account um, that, that really promotes a lot of these hoaxes, a lot of this idea that... um For example, like you can just call liberals or people who think gay people shouldn't have to hide who they are, that you can call them groomers or, you know, kind of pedophiles in training. The other interesting thing I I think is that this account really promotes a lot of these like really just crazy hoaxes, like this idea that schools were, were putting cat litter.
2: Oh, yes. This was, a, this was a progenitor of this hoax about furries in schools, right?
1: Right. So this idea that kids thought they were cats and so they needed to have cat litter. I mean, it, it's one of these things where it, like, it's clearly a lie, but it has caught on not just with this account, but, it, but I think various kind of uh, local or state level politicians have repeated this idea. And it, it, it's definitely one of those stories where, you know, I, I think this typifies a lot of what we talk about here, is even when you prove it's wrong, people are kind of like, yes, but like the thrust of it is true
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's the vibe it's, it's vibe vibes based reporting and i think that's what's important you know when we talk about furries in the
1: news <laughs> just the idea of like kindergartens having like much smaller fur suits <laughs> and what have you or like hey, i'm a wolf or what have you
2: yeah you know what's funny i actually did some reporting a couple months ago and i talked to some furry influencers about this and they're like yeah this is bullshit and they actually gave me very uh nuanced and thoughtful takes about, you know, children and self-expression. So, you know, if you're looking for a a better insight on this, go talk to a real furry.
1: Yeah. Don't trust libs of TikTok. Overall, I, I would just recommend people read the piece. It's kind of remarkable how this Twitter account that just sort of rips TikTok videos has has reached the point where you know this person's filing corporate registrations and where they're they're getting pick, you know the 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 creators doing interviews on Fox News and and uh, I mean really I, I think is not the sole force certainly but I think one of the sort of the the less obvious hands behind the current anti-gay anti-trans backlash on the right. Okay Kelly, next up we have a an article that that I I think went a little unnoticed, but it's really interesting, Uh, an article about what's going on inside the D.C. jail with all the January 6th political prisoners, where things have really devolved. There's a lot of drama.
2: Right. So for context here, this D.C. jail has become this weird valorized site in a lot of far-right mythology. You've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene calling it the patriot wing of the jail, which it's this area where a number of January six detainees are being held. They've taken tours there. There's like fundraising for the specific jail. So it has this very special place in the conservative imagination.
1: It's like the gulag, basically. I, I, I believe the Gateway Pundits called it the gulag.
2: Yes, they literally do. But, you know, as these things often go, when you get a lot of, we'll just generously say, offbeat characters in one very densely confined area... Some schisms start to emerge. And this new NPR reporting claims that there are factions emerging and pretty feuds.
1: You know, it's interesting because on the outside, uh, these these prisoners are often treated sort of monolithically by the right as you know, oh, we write them Christmas cards, you know, and, and 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 they write out these kind of really baroque tales of being terrorized by the guards and the fellow prisoners. That really, I don't think there's a ton of evidence behind this NPR report. Really looked into the the sort of the factions, and I think this is relevant because particularly if the once these some of these people get out, I think they're really going to be heralded as uh, as martyrs by the right. And, and, you know, I, I think it's very easy to imagine a, a 2024 Trump campaign, you know, touting these folks and having them up to speak at rallies and stuff like that. Um, and so the, the basically, first of all, this, this piece gets into the idea that some of these folks have become, you know, far more radicalized in jail because they say, you know, uh, the, you know the deep state is out to get me. I'm being so unfairly punished for being a conservative. Uh, on the other hand, others have decided that, uh, you know, maybe— Maybe I don't want to be storming into Congress in the future. Uh, you know, maybe they've learned their lesson and are kind of trying to, they, they feel a little apolitical. And and then finally, the other faction is just a sort of a fascinating one. I would love to see this in action. People who have gotten really deep into QAnon in jail. Oh boy. And have been, you know, according to the piece, writing letters to a post office box that they've heard reaches Trump.
2: Oh, that is grim. That is jail specific QAnon. I did not like that.
1: You're right. That that is kind of a very ugly variant of it. It's sort of like how you have your your white supremacist gangs, and then you have, like, the the prison white supremacists. I can't even imagine what this post office box is. I'm sure it's, like, operated by one of the JFK Jr. impersonators or something like that. And so then there's also, like, kind of the guts of the matter, though. You might say, okay, well, maybe these guys don't all sit at the same lunch table, but (laughs) why are they fighting? And then the guts of the matter is really this nonprofit raising money for the prisoners that hasn't been distributing the money equally.
2: Right. So, I mean— for the far right, there there are just, you know, a, a panoply of fundraisers where you can sort of like adopt a Gen 6 prisoner, just like you would maybe like adopt a, you know, a, a needy family at Christmas or something like that. And you just send the money. And the allegations coming out from this jail now is that these funds aren't being equally distributed. Some people are basking in the love and they're getting donations and probably lots of cards and other people are a little less popular. They're not really the homecoming king of the Jancic swing of the jail. So you can imagine how that would start to spark some divisions there. And, you know, well, you're talking about how, okay, so maybe it's true that this wing is not really restoring prisoners. It's not doing restorative justice and changing their minds, but there has been an element to which this this setting has sort of broken up the click. And there was an earlier filing by a defense attorney about this wing of the jail. The defense attorney told a judge that there was almost a cult-like atmosphere developing in this area where people were getting like really uh, high on their own supply and having um, these like patriot prayer meetings and things like that. And that, seems to be on the downturn with the disputes over this money.
1: Yeah, so, so the money we're talking about is you know in the the world of a legal defense, actually probably not that much money. Um, it, it's about one point two million dollars being split up between all these prisoners, and it's this nonprofit called the Patriot Freedom Project that raised money from all these from folks like Dinesh D'Souza. Um, but the issue is that the, the Patriot Freedom Project has not been giving money to all of the prisoners, and there's a sort of a feeling that this group has sort of allied itself with like sort of some of the most unsavory prisoners. So. There's a piece in the story where Basically, the, the woman running this, this group is described as very close to this one particular prisoner. And he is, in this piece, described as, by many accounts, a polarizing figure. And then the picture after that is him with a Hitler mustache, giving what appears to be some kind of Nazi salute. <laughs> and so this guy is, is like a straight-up white supremacist and Holocaust denier. And he is sort of the seemingly kind of buddying up to him is very key to getting access to this money. And so as a result, this has caused a lot of drama in the jail between people people who uh, do not consider themselves white supremacists and nevertheless want access to this money.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You don't like that kind of gatekeeper when it comes to getting funds for your defense. And that's the trouble, right? The, these folks want to say that they are not Nazis or not white supremacists, etc., that they're just, you know, God-loving patriots. And yet, when this is the guy that you've got to suck up to to uh, get that sweet, sweet donation money, you might start to infer things about your peer group.
1: <laughs> like, wait a minute, this guy's the the, the most heard, the, the most beloved one on the outside? I mean, it is, uh, the, it, as long as we're on the topic, of the January 6th uh, detainees, it is interesting because, you know, contrasting what these people are accused of doing and often caught on video doing versus how they're portrayed in the right-wing media. The gateway point has been huge on this, and it, it's always like whenever one of these guys gets raided or something like that uh before they're arrested and you know it's always like oh how unfair that this happened like it was his birthday or something or it was (laughs) i mean they, they always find some really like marginal thing or like it was his it was his anniversary uh oh couldn't the fbi wait a day or something but then and then you look and it's sort of like he was there to, you know, support American democracy and, and make sure elections are are safe. And then you actually look up this guy's indictment on the US Attorney's office and he's like bludgeoning a cop with a stick or like, you know, and just really violent stuff and and then you think, well maybe that's why he's in jail. Uh, oh, you know, what I
2: mean totally. There's there's one of the main characters in this article is, you know, he's saying that, well, I didn't have, you know, a huge, terrible offense. Maybe I'm not a threat to my community. I shouldn't be locked up for a pretrial uh, detention. And, you know, you can always make a good case against pretrial detention. But the real reason he is in jail right now is that he was initially let out and then he started harassing his parole officer. And so that's why he's back in jail. So, you know, you want to be uh, kind of sympathetic and say, yeah, man, jail sucks. There's a lot of things that we should do is. a... Uh, as a country, to overhaul that and then be like, mm. but you know, <laughs> sometimes the court is making a valid point here.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I thought the piece was a very interesting. Look inside all of these uh, groups inside the jail. All right. Well, speaking of people who were at the Capitol on January sixth, Alex Jones's Infowars has filed for bankruptcy. Kelly, what's going on there? So
2: Alex Jones has been through the legal ringer lately. He lost two back-to-back lawsuits last year. Uh, by families who lost people in the Sandy Hook shooting, which Alex Jones notoriously claimed was a hoax. So now he's on the hook for an unspecified amount of a lot of money. We can just estimate a fuckload. This weekend, three of his companies filed for bankruptcy, basically saying, hey, man, you can't squeeze us for all this money. We just don't have it. We're already broke. But it's interesting now because he's going to have to go and back that up in court. He's going to have to show the lack of assets. And I think that is where we're going to get some really interesting prying into Infowars finances and seeing exactly what they do and don't have.
1: It's also interesting because, you know, Alex Jones has sort of, uh, right, so so basically this is an attempt, I think, to shield Infowars' assets from these judgments. Um, You know, I don't think that's a controversial take. Uh, It is basically, like, since about a year ago, it was really clear that he was going to lose. He had this, the judges in in these cases in Texas and Connecticut took the very unusual step of saying, look, you have not been serious about this process the entire time. You've broken discovery rules. We're just going to rule now that you lose. And we're going to decide later how much money you owe. So and more recently, people may remember he pulled this thing where he skipped a deposition because he claimed he had this sudden onset illness that was very mysterious. It didn't prevent him from ranting and getting red in the face for three hours a day on his show. But yet he couldn't (laughs) sit for the deposition. So, I mean, clearly, this is a guy who I think has decided that he's going to lose and just sort of needs to 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 minimize how he how much he has to pay out. Uh, And so. You know, when you start talking about bankruptcy court, though, I think given that I, I think it's pretty fair to say that Alex Jones has been untruthful through the the legal process. Um, you know, he's been accused of doing all kinds of financial lying um, already. But I mean, when you start talking about like lying in bankruptcy court, I mean, we're, we're talking about some, you know, potentially some criminal issues. So. I think what's especially interesting about this, though, is people might say, wait, how is Infowars broke? I mean, has, has this been a shoestring operation this whole time? Uh, and the answer is not. Because, you know, Huffington Post reported that between 2015 and 2018, Infowars made more than $150 million. It's not like Infowars is exactly, I would say, like a high-budget operation. I mean, that, that, they're raking in the bucks here. And suddenly, there's almost no money to pay out. Now, what happened here?
2: I have so many questions because I started actually looking at some of the bankruptcy filings, and there are things that are just, like, on their face, untrue, right? So Alex Jones is claiming that, like, um, InfoWars itself has—he checked, like, the lowest margin of assets they can have, which is between zero and $50,000, and it's like— I think their, their studio in itself has, like, more than $50,000 of cameras. Like, if they don't think it's worth it, like, I'll, I'll try and flip it on the black market or something. Because I'm sure, like, any of that high-budget studio equipment is worth well, well more than what he's saying the entire Company is worth. So there's real reasons to doubt, even just from what you can see in the studio on every single Infowars broadcast. And, you know, Will, you had some really good reporting earlier this month showing that Alex Jones has been moving so much money around from Infowars accounts. He uh, paid himself like 18 million from an Infowars tied bank account. There's also what Sandy Hook families call a quote alphabet soup of shell companies that have been redirecting like 80% of Infowars sales into these just unknown entities. It's, oh, we don't have any money because we're sending it to, you know, ABC Corporation. So there's some really, really shady stuff going on there. And to your point that you can't just make shit up in bankruptcy court, that's a really good way to take a lawsuit from a civil proceeding to suddenly it's criminal because you've done perjury
1: yeah i mean th- this is a the case of the, the this money being shifted around is interesting i mean i think what's going on here is throughout this process you, you know we talk a lot about how in the courtroom these right-wing activists it's like suddenly they realize they can't lie their way out of out of th- this one thing like we saw this with Sidney powell and the the dominion voting machine lawsuits um and so in this case Alex Jones, I think, has decided, well, okay, InfoWars is about to be crushed by these judgments. But what if I just move it to a company called like InfoWars (coughs) 2? <laughs> you know, essentially. So w- what he did was, I mean, and, and what I think is really funny about these money transfers is they often coincide with Alex Jones losing in one of the cases. And so it'll be like the judge will rule against him on something. And he seemingly goes, Oh shoot, I'm going to lose. All right. Time to draw out a bunch of money on Infowars from that account and just give it to myself. So, you know, they, they can't get it if it's not in the account. The shell companies thing is interesting because basically suddenly the shell company appeared uh, owned by Alex Jones's relative. Relatives uh, that said, oh, yeah, actually um, InfoWar we're like this pass-through company and Infowars owes us $50 million that it's racked up over the past four or five years, uh, suddenly, you know, but we've not taken any action over this debt as it supposedly accrued uh, uh, up until, you know, about $50 million. But suddenly now uh, InfoWars is going to have to pay us nearly all of its pro- <laughs> all of its profits to pay that off. Uh, and I, I just really think this is not going to stand up in court at all. Um, you know, the lawyer in the Texas case has said, uh, yeah, we're not fooled by this. So. You know, I I think there's definitely a lot more to come. I mean, I think for Alex Jones, this whole thing is kind of like keeping the dance going as long in the musical chairs as long as he can. Uh, But ultimately, I mean, this is not exactly like money being stashed in the Cayman Islands or something. I mean, these are some pretty obvious maneuvers here.
2: Right. And, you know, to your point about keeping the dance going on, he's actively fundraising off of his bankruptcy. Um, After he declared bankruptcy, he announced a, quote, emergency blowout sale on InfoWars. Where you can get seventy five percent off to items like a uh, Brain Force Ultra Super Concentrated Beet Extract. My favorite that I found is called Ultimate Krill Oil. <laughs> so you know if you if you need some stocking stuffers this early in the year, it's you know never too early to start.
1: It's, it's like those those rug stores that constantly have going out of business sales, but but for brain pills.
2: It's uh, it's like the uh, Arrested Development. Oh my God, we're having a fire. Sale. listen, he knows the store makes him a lot of money. It's one of their biggest cash cows. Um, but the question right now is, like, if you're supposedly $50 million in the hole— is that going to bring him back up to solvency? I kind of doubt it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think there's just, there's a lot of shell games going on here with these shell companies. And, uh, and I, I think there's much more ahead. All right, Kelly, who do we have on the podcast this week?
2: This week, we are speaking to Nikki McCann-Ramirez, an associate research director at Media Matters for America. Nikki does the hero's work of watching not only Tucker Carlson's primetime shows, but his even more unhinged bonus content.
1: This is the show where, like, t- if you see clips from it, Tucker Carlson looks like he's at a ranch.
2: Right, yeah. He's sitting in a log cabin wearing, like, a slightly more dressed-down shirt and talking to someone who's just openly defending slavery. <laughs> Uh, And so this week, uh, we're we're going into that expanded Tucker universe with Nikki. She is going to tell us why Tucker is trying to get his male audience to barbecue their balls. Stick around.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature?
2: We're joined by Nikki McCann-Ramirez, resident Tucker Carlson expert at Media Matters. Nikki's been keeping tabs on Tucker's pro-Putin propaganda, his whitewashing of January 6th, and now his upcoming special called The End of Men. You can find Nikki on Twitter at Nikki MCR. Nikki, thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, okay, this documentary hasn't dropped in full today, but its trailer is kind of going viral for some interesting reasons. What do we know about Tucker Carlson's End of Men special? So, Tucker
3: Carlson's End of Men is an episode in Tucker's Fox Nation series called Tucker Carlson Originals. Fox Nation is a little bit of Fox's attempt to create a streaming platform but also a ensure themselves against uh, ever present advertiser backlash by having a su- subscriber base and also they kind of use it to hide some of their more reactionary content for their most diehard viewers i hesitate to call anything on the tucker carlson original series a documentary having watched them all they're specials where Tucker was given kind of an on the ground camera crew to and a bigger budget to go to destinations that aren't just his studios, and most importantly, a soundboard that makes everything sound like a trailer for Pacific Rim. <laughs> it's a lot, of, no, really, it's a lot of just like very ominous, scary noises. Each of the specials is only about 24 minutes. As of now, we don't have a set release date for end of men as far as I could find. But the first episode of the second season, which was The Suicide of Los Angeles, has come out, and it's it's a bit of a doozy. Uh, but yeah, so what we're looking to see in this special, this documentary per se, is a discussion of an issue that Tucker has been kind of fixated on for a while, which is the state of masculinity in America. It's not a new issue. Fox and Tucker have long been fixated on the war on men and the quote-unquote war on masculinity, Some people who tune into the news will be very aware of like the backlash to the Gillette ad in 2019, for example. So this issue isn't new, but Fox has given Tucker fairly free reign and a huge budget to cover things that he thinks are interesting. So It'll be fun to see how this turns out.
1: So Nikki, you know, if you could describe what's going on in this trailer, I mean, because sort of the, these images really kind of come rapidly. And I think this is what, what sort of shook a lot of people. First of all, how did you encounter this trailer? I mean, walk me through the, you, your, your experience seeing these images.
3: So I watch Tucker, pretty much all of Tucker's content. I watch his Fox Nation shows, and I try to watch Tucker Carlson tonight every single night. On Friday, I was getting ready to go out with some friends, just kind of like doing my makeup at my desk, had it on in the background. The Friday episode was kind of a big special event episode, like hyping up the season two of Tucker Carlson Originals. And he'd been going through previews of different episodes he was going to have. And I was a little tuned out, kind of distracted. It's Friday. And out of the corner of my eye, I just see the one image of the dude like T-posing into the Tesla charger and the 2001 Space Odyssey sound in the background. I was just like, wait, 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 what just happened? So Rewound, watched it like twice and was just giggling the entire time. But the trailer for this, this special is features a lot of semi-nude men or completely nude men doing quote-unquote manly activities. They are shooting guns at vegetable oil, flipping tires, chugging a glass of what looks like seven eggs. And it just, it was visually absurd. But I think the thing that really stuck out to me once I got over the absurdity was this voiceover that basically, oof, it was a voiceover of what is essentially like a far-right meme that was a little more editorialized. People might have encountered this if you like monitor far right spaces or for some reason are really involved in 4chan. But the meme is a format of like hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And for the record, that quote is from a man named G. Michael Hobb, who's a novelist, not a historian. It's just a catchy phrase that, you know, resonates with people who like idolize a certain type of like history, but it's not necessarily a phrase couched in historical accuracy. And the trailer, the part that I clipped for Twitter, the voiceover says once a society collapses, then you're in hard times. Well, hard iron sharpens iron. And those hard times inevitably inevitably produce men who are tough, men who are resourceful, men who are strong enough to survive. And then they go on to establish order. And so the cycle begins again. So... Within this very softcore porn montage of like God Squad style manly activities was this very like far right, very Western chauvinist messaging that I think a lot of people missed because the trailer was so visually absurd. But it speaks a lot to what Tucker and the far right view the role of masculinity as within society. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but that was kind of what the trailer embodied
1: it's interesting because the the video sort of juxtaposes these ridiculous images of you know it starts like almost like a catalog or some of these guys like chopping wood and then it escalates to drinking raw eggs and you know as you mentioned it will get into it someone using apparently a uv light on their testicles but at the same time you're getting this overlay of like i mean they say like you know there's chaos and these strong men need to reestablish order hand, hand, like a little fascism there. This is sort of hitting on this strain of right-wing thought on the internet of these kind of like, like workout fascists. Uh, can you talk about that?
3: Oh, absolutely. So I think Philip Bump had a piece in the Washington Post one or two days ago about how a lot of this is a little bit like goop for MAGA. I wouldn't necessarily say MAGA. I think I would just say that this is like goop for far-right men, men on the right. Fox News has often has held for a really long time that men, particularly white men, make up the bulk of their audience are under attack or sorry, let me rephrase that. Anyone who monitors the far right knows that there is a cottage industry of kind of pseudoscientific kind of health craze stuff, fad diets, supplements, exercise regimens that like populate the space. A really notorious one is Jordan Peterson's carnivore diet, like Mike Cernovich's gorilla mindset. For years, Alex Jones made a ton of his revenue off selling supplements and like the super male vitality. And I think a lot of people associate the alternative health and wellness industry as something that is typically targeted toward women, but it absolutely caters toward men. And particularly on the right, on the like online right, this trend is extremely prevalent. And I mean, obviously, if you're suffering from low testosterone levels, which is a thing that Tucker is really interested in, there are medical ways to deal with that. But sending your viewers to go get a blood panel and talk to their urologist kind of gives up the opportunity to frame that issue as a culture war issue. You give up your leverage. To direct your viewers to a solution that benefits you my take on this isn't necessarily that tucker's viewers are going to go out and you know go to the nearest red light therapy salon and tan their balls it's there they're, they're going to walk away with this with this idea that there is a crisis of masculinity and that they need to view themselves as strong as strong men and enforcers in this culture war battle so that's kind of what I want people to take away from this. That yes, it is kind of ridiculous to go out and promote this uh bromeopathy, which is a term that was used in the interview Tucker did right after he released
1: the promo. As opposed to homeopathy.
3: As opposed to homeopathy, yes, <laughs> bromeopathy. But yeah, that this idea of bromeopathy isn't necessarily like there is a profit motive motive there, but it also indicates that this is centered around a culture war issue about what the role of masculinity is, about what men should be doing to maintain their place in society. And I read an interview with a historian, Kristen Cobbs-Demez, I hope I pronounced that right, who was discussing Jordan Peterson and how a lot of the times in the way The right wing presents masculinity and what good masculinity is there is a sense of danger, and that you as a man need to have that danger, that like capacity for danger. And when you learn, and that you need to learn how to control that capacity. Otherwise, you will be too weak to stand up to the oppressors. And I think that's the message that Tucker is trying to drill into his viewers. He's not necessarily selling them. A medical solution to a medical issue. He's hawking a culture war narrative. And he's using a medical problem or a perceived medical problem as a framing to sell his beliefs about the role of traditional masculinity in society and how his viewers should be behaving in the face of these issues and how they should view these issues in relation to themselves.
2: That's such a good point. And, you know, so it's so interesting. He's bringing up like supposedly low testosterone counts, which is a uh, a medical quantifiable issue, but he's wedging it into a culture war. And I'm wondering if he's done this before because this right-wing obsession with supposed testosterone levels isn't new. It's something that you see memed all across the internet
1: well soy boys for example like the idea of yeah, consuming soy
2: absolutely you've got to be on the carnivore diet otherwise you are effectively a woman oh
3: absolutely and i think one of the things where it was very clear and i am going to refer again to philip bump on this because it was his point and it was a great point that a lot of this is about undermining trust in experts and one of the biggest examples we can see of tucker doing that was his coverage of COVID and the way he railed against public health measures against vaccination. Tucker was very concerned about the way vaccines affect fertility and the quote unquote feminizing effect of the vaccine. There was a very notorious segment of his again on one of his Fox Nation shows where he said that COVID had feminized British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and that the vaccine had a feminizing effect on people. But at the same time, Tucker was saying that people who listened to public health experts were effeminate. So the vaccine will feminize you. But if you listen to COVID experts who are taking the vaccine, you will also be effeminate. Or if you listen to COVID experts who are telling you, like, hey, the best way to prevent COVID, which according to Tucker feminizes you, is getting the vaccine, then you are also effeminate. And Again, it goes back to this idea that the masculine man doesn't submit to authority, doesn't submit to what the elites want him to believe, even if it goes against their best interests. Like Will pointed out, the whole idea of the soy boy is very couched in this mentality, that if you are not acting as a reactionary or just constantly asserting your dominant role in society or, quote unquote, submitting to something that is feminizing, that is effeminate. And this is something that we can see time and time again in Tucker's coverage. It's not even necessarily about medical issues. It's the way he talks about women. When he was covering COVID at one point, he said he had a quote that was, what was it? It was, how did we get to a point where feminists are running our public policy? This idea that there are groups of people that should not be dominant, that should not be allowed to be dominant, is very prevalent in Tucker's framing of the culture wars. And I think if we go back to the trailer and this idea that the voiceover was was talking about about societal collapse, well, what do Fox and Tucker consider to be societal collapse? It's The influence of the left, the rise of LGBTQ movements, particularly the trans movement, which is a kind of direct challenge to gender roles, the arrival of immigrants and this narrative that Tucker has been talking about the Great Replacement, even things like climate activism and the BLM movement. Tucker has been drilling in the messaging that BLM is a Marxist movement. Who wants to destroy the nuclear family
1: let's get into the meat of the matter here which is to say that the part where the testicles are getting roasted <laughs> the, the, this is the part that's probably gotten the most attention here and it's a guy who as you said you compared it to like a tesla charger this is a guy he's doing this kind of like um it, it, it looks like a very like kind of like classical pose it, but he's nude and he, he he has this uv light over his testicles what's going on there
3: yes so <laughs> I'm going to preface this by saying that I am not an expert in testosterone levels. I'm not a urologist, but there is a narrative, and I'm not going to like try and prove or disprove it, but there are certain studies and certain medical professionals who claim and believe that testosterone levels have been declining over time that are previous generations of men had higher testosterone levels and that for a variety of reasons, be them social, medical, a lot of people who um, advocate this issue believe that it has to do with microplastics and environmental factors, but it's a lot of things. The point being that there is an idea that testosterone levels are declining over time. As with any medical issue, a kind of ecosystem of alternative medicine has emerged. And what that kind of vitruvian man over a toaster or a tesla charger was is he was doing what is called red light therapy which is basically like blasting your nether regions with it's not uv light it's red light i can't really argue too much about the scientific merits of it from what i understand it's said to be not very effective also I've seen versions of this, which is just like kind of tanning your testicles, like exposing them to sunlight. And, you know, there are risks that come with that. Your testicles have skin and your skin can burn and skin is subjective to melanoma. I do know because I had very nice comprehensive sex ed growing up that the reason your testicles are outside your body is because they're supposed to be at a relatively colder temperature than the rest of you and heating them up may not necessarily be a good thing. (laughs) But again, it goes back to this idea of alternative medicine, about not trusting expertise and trusted science, this idea that no one's talking about this, no one's addressing this. When in reality, if you are concerned about your testosterone levels, you can go to a urologist, go to your doctor, get a blood panel, and there are medical solutions to that.
1: So I think for me the the thread I'm interested in exploring here is I think this Tucker video is not just about testosterone levels or drinking raw eggs but I think it's it's sort of a backdoor way And obviously it hasn't come out yet. Fox didn't tell me when it's coming out. So, you know, we haven't seen the full video. But I think it's an interesting way for him to get to introduce the world to this idea of ancient Mediterranean fascism. And people might (laughs) think I'm being crazy here. But a lot of this has ties, I think, to ideological figures. Like there's a guy named Bronze Age Pervert. Listeners might be saying, what is this guy talking about? You can Google this. Politico wrote an article about this. This is a guy who tweets things like, if you are not raiding your enemy's village Villages, you are falling behind, whatever. And this guy is—he's—he's he's essentially like a ancient Phoenician fascist, and his writings have been. Incredibly influential on the right. Uh, There's this Politico article that you know a member of Trump's National Security Council wrote a very positive review about it. Mike Cernovich claimed that people in the White House were fans of it. So this kind of idea that people, men in particular, need to sort of go back to not just the old ways of like pre-modernity, but to like classical times, uh, to the Aeneid, and sort of meld that with a, a modern day sort of white nationalist fascism is, I think, what is being hinted at here. One of the people who claims to be in the documentary is a guy named Raw Egg Nationalist. I'm gonna assume he's the guy drinking the raw eggs in the video. And so these guys who blend this sort of fascism with working out and sort of esoteric nutrition or supplements, if you watch the trailer, interestingly, some of the guys don't have their faces blurred out, but some of them do. And I, I, I believe that includes Mr. Raw Egg. And so I think, well, you know, Fox didn't tell me if these guy's in it, whatever. But I think here, this is, a, is sort of a classic example of Trying to mainstream stuff that, even by the standards of Fox News, is really extreme. I think another example that, you know, th- there's a lot of like, I hate to call this trailer a, r- a rich text, but the, you know, th- there's a point where when he's setting up this idea that like weak men create bad times, it says in current year in text, right? Which we know saying in current year rather than in 2022, that is a an alt-right kind of Pepe the Frog type meme to mock liberals for saying, you know, I can't believe in 2022, we still have this social problem. So they're using a lot of this kind of language and uh, and, and, and bringing it into to a wider audience.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think this is absolutely linked to the role of the far right as in, as the trailer said, combating chaos or reestablishing order. Part of this has to do with the idea that framing movements that threaten to destabilize and establish social order as an attack on quote unquote masculinity allows you to connect those social changes to an individual in a manner that is both very loosely defined and also highly personal that all these things are happening in the world around you because You haven't manned up because you are not being strong enough because you've allowed these people to take your rightful place from you. I think a really good example of this, about this concept of maintaining order, was what Tucker Carlson said about Kyle Rittenhouse right after the Kenosha shooting, where this horrific thing had happened. And Tucker's reaction was to say, quote, how shocked are we that 17-year-olds with rifles decided that they had to maintain order when no one else would. And I think that is a very extreme example of the end result of this. But the reality is that the far right has been priming its viewers to view themselves as the enforcers of culture, as the enforcers of that worldview, that Bronze Age pervert. It may sound ridiculous to an outside viewer, But that messaging that you have to be the one that's raiding the village, you have to be the one that's, I don't know, standing up in school board meetings and demanding that like LGBTQ teachers teaching about gender differences be fired. You have to be that person. That is something that Tucker's audience and far right audiences are absolutely primed for. Again, Tucker is selling a culture war narrative here. Maybe some of his viewers will sign up for a gym membership or start chugging eggs or eating an all-meat diet. But the majority of them are simply going to walk away from this with the idea that they themselves have to be the enforcers of this messaging, that they are the front lines of this battle, that they are waging to restore order to a society that wants to put them down. Even if that's not necessarily the reality of their existence, they are soaked in these narratives of victimization by the left, of social movements, that they are very accepting to a message that tells them you are the solution.
2: You know, Nikki, it's so funny because Tucker is one of these people who goes on these tirades about, you know, the apparent immutability of biological sex, right? He had that whole segment where he's saying, you don't know what a woman is. Here's a woman who's like basically like a hente, you know, just like cartoon, uh, exaggerated woman. And, you know, he'll do that. And yet go on about how easy it is for men to be effeminized. So I, you know, I almost want to say, like, you know, pick one, but of course, this isn't a good faith debate. I did want to pivot though to another huckster of like faux medical masculinity. And that's Alex Jones, who I think you flagged has a a weird little crossover or cameo in this documentary. What's going on there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So a fun thing that we learned yesterday, and I want to credit my colleague here, Noah Dow, who saw the clip, was that Alex Jones on his show yesterday, or it might have been the day before. I don't want to get the date wrong. But basically, after this trailer came out, Alex Jones bragged that the part of the special with all these men flipping tires and shooting guns and chugging eggs was filmed at a property of his near Austin, Texas. And that in fact, the gun fired in the trailer was his gun. This speaks to the longstanding relationship that Tucker has with Alex Jones. Uh, me and a couple of my coworkers on the night shift team at Media Matters put together a timeline, I believe, last year of Tucker's history of praising, defending, and sourcing content from Alex Jones. And While Alex holds a very particular place in the right at this point, I think he doesn't hold the same amount of influence he held eight years ago. It speaks to the fact that Tucker is sourcing a lot of his material from these conspiracy theorists, from these ultra right content creators, and laundering them to a national audience. Fox admits that Tucker Carlson's program is not news, it's entertainment. And I think. Tucker pretty much functions as the agenda setter for the right. And when you start to see or when you realize that he's sourcing a lot of that agenda from these niche Twitter accounts, these like far right microblogs, you start to see how much of a funnel he is for that type of ideology. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that Tucker is bringing this sort of Homeopathy, pseudoscientific medical world to his viewers. There is a profit motive, motive there, obviously. Alex Jones made a ton of money hawking supplements. It was for a long time kind of one of his main sources of income. The connection there, I don't think it can be overstated. I think people who watch the far right on a regular basis are very in tune to these connections. But the average viewer or the casual scroller who sees a tweet may not necessarily know what those connections are and where this information is being sourced from. So when someone like Alex Jones says, oh, yeah, the producer at Fox asked to use my, I think it's a ranch, my ranch in Texas, and I'm super excited about it, that's a flag. It's concerning when people like Tucker are sourcing their material from people like Jones, from people like Gateway Pundit. I can't say that there is a direct connection between Tucker And, you know, some of these more aggressive, more neo-fascist accounts, but the material is definitely there. And it's a little bit of a food chain that makes its way from the far right Internet ecosphere to Tucker Carlson and then to national audiences who walk away with the impression that they're getting this from a like, quote unquote, trusted source.
2: Well, Alex Jones did just uh, file for bankruptcy or at least Infowars did. So maybe he can, you know, pivot. Maybe he can become a film studio instead. Oh, my gosh. No, no. God forbid. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki, hey, this has been so informative and so upsetting. I am going to go and uh, not grill my balls. But thank you so much for joining us. Oh,
3: my God. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it immensely.
2: And now we go to Fresh Hell, the segment where we talk about the upcoming news that you don't want to know but are going to have to in the days to come.
1: (laughs) Yes, welcome to Fresh Hell. Okay, this week on Fresh Hell, I've got something that might be truly some of the most disturbing content we've ever had on the podcast. And I, I want to preface this by saying this... Is not a widespread phenomenon. I, I don't want people to say I'm saying this is really catching on everywhere. But but I think it is it offers an interesting glimpse into how far these conspiracy theories can go. I'm speaking, of course, about a growing backlash on the right against taking showers every day. Okay. So <laughs> folks may remember last week we talked about this growing conspiracy theory thanks to a QAnon documentary that suggested that cobra snake venom, cray snake venom, has been injected into the water supply to give us satanic DNA. Now, this idea has caught on a little more than you might think on the right. We have um, a state senator in Arizona has has tweeted, you know, uh, maybe there's snake venom in the water. So, even as the guy behind it has suggested, has started backing away from it, saying, "I guess you know, maybe, maybe there's not snake venom in the water." So the, so this is where we're at. But but it's sort of like once you think about it, right? And and it, I have a story out on the Daily Beast this week about how now uh, sales of water filters are blowing up on the right because now people have to filter out their their snake venom. <laughs> okay, so so if you think about it, there's not a lot of things you can do. If you can't interact with water. And so, you know, we've got some of these influencers are saying, don't drink water until you get a water filter installed. Don't even drink bottled water because, or, you know, don't drink, use a regular water filter. One guy was like, because the cabal owns Brita. So, <gasps> you know, this, this, this was taken to its ultimate conclusion here with this QAnon account I found on Telegram with roughly 50,000 followers. Uh, and they say, you know what's in the water? It's chlorine. And that's meant to mess with your brain. And that's why they want you to- taking showers a day every day so the the implication here is that the idea of taking a shower every day is a cabal plot because they want you getting exposed to these chemicals maybe this snake venom as much as possible i think this really kind of as we sort of harken back to this john birch society fluoride in the water type thing um you know it is interesting to see it taken to its logical conclusion of minimize how much you shower
2: I love it because this is the natural crossover of, like, Bircher paranoia and that weird guy in your freshman year of college who's like, hey, man, you don't actually need to shower. Your body cleans itself. And, like, you, you can kind of smell him. And you're like, eh, I'm not so sure about that, Greg, you know. It's kind of related to the like, people who don't
1: wear shoes. Right. Right.
2: right. <laughs> the, the The people who are like, you know, it's. the human body doesn't naturally need to wear shoes. And it's like, I mean, technically, I guess, but like, you know, let's apply some common sense here.
1: So, I mean, just give me a sense of this this post. Now, we're not going to get into it too much because it's kind of a bummer, but basically (laughs) uh, do you want to know why you were taught to take showers every day? It actually leads back to the Holocaust. Oh Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh boy. Our bodies are more than capable of healing themselves, cleaning themselves. They tell us to shower every day, sometimes twice a day. They want to see how much the human body can handle. I mean, this is the, it is sort of like when you start talking about people going crazy about the water. I mean, it, it is logically like, okay, well, you know, I shouldn't interact with the water supply. I'm seeing an increase in interest in digging wells as well um i don't know how that would work you know if you live in a city you know maybe hit the aquifer
2: (laughs) oh also like you're gonna like let's just do some untested well water here i can't wait to like see covid 2022 come out just some bizarre pathogens we haven't seen since the ice age just bubbling up into your <laughs> home water system.
1: It, it is funny seeing, I mean, and, and this goes back to, you know, so much of, of I, I think our modern age is the attempt to sort of, to, to re, you know, whether it's turning on vaccines or what have you. I mean, the, the sort of a, a attempt to to re- return to the old ways and, and perhaps discovering, uh, you know, why we had them in the first place.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, why stop there? You know, I'm thinking about all the things you can't do with Uh, without water i mean you could kind of try and keep like a mountain dew based diet but you can't boil pasta are you brushing your teeth at this point you know it just seems very prohibitive
1: exactly i mean certainly if this not showering thing catches on i think it could make going out in the field uh, to report on these stories uh, (laughs) even more interesting
2: it's a natural protection against us On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture.
1: We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer, and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.